This program is brought to you by PersonalLifeMedia.com. Hi, and welcome to Green Talk, a podcast series from GreenLivingIdeas.com. Green Talk helps listeners in their efforts to lead more eco-friendly lifestyles through interviews with top vendors, authors, and experts from around the world. We discuss the critical issues facing the global environment today, as well as the technologies, products, and practices that you can employ to go greener in every area of your life. Hey everybody, this is Sean Daly. Thanks for listening in as always today on Green Talk Radio from GreenLivingIdeas.com. My guest today is Andre Angelantoni, who is the founder of Inspiring Green Leadership and also something called Post Carbon Marin, as in Marin County, California, which is close to where we are at Green Living Ideas. Uh, first of all, Andre, uh, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So we're going to be talking today about peak oil, and I understand you have a great deal of experience with this topic. So I think, um, you know, why don't we start with the most common question that people want answered about peak oil, which is, quite frankly, what exactly is peak oil? Um, and we'll go from there. Yeah, that's actually the, the, the best place to start, because people do get a little bit confused around uh, what peak oil means. Peak oil doesn't mean that we're running out of oil. It's the point at which the production of all the world's oil fields can no longer be increased. Um, after that point, that means that the amount of oil on the world market starts to decline. And uh, we've been increasing, except for a few dips, the amount of oil that's been available to, uh, to the world ever since we discovered it. And uh, peak oil means that we're going to radically change the context that we operate inside of. We're going to an energy-scarce world. And I think the number one question that happens when the conversation of peak oil comes up, and it, it certainly came up in the Al Gore film and it comes up regularly in all forms of media, is exactly when is peak oil going to occur? Yeah, the ranges are really all, all over the map, but they're starting to gel into two basic groups of people. You've got the near-peakers, and the far peakers. And the near peakers, they think that conventional oil is going to decrease, it's going to hit its peak anywhere between now and, let's say, 2015. Uh, some people think that the peak uh, occurred on May 2005, but that's a tenuous production record, and, and, it, and we might actually beat it soon. And then the far peakers, they think that we have maybe until uh, 2020, 2030, some people even think until 2040 before we peak. I fall into the camp of the near peakers, um, and I think the, the most powerful way to get this sorted out for yourself is to, is to just go to Wikipedia and type in oil megaprojects, and an entry will come up which is being uh, updated by the uh, oil Mega Projects Task Force, and what they are doing is they're scouring the world for all the new oil mega projects, and you can see how much oil is slated to come online. And then if you go look at the graphs of how much oil we're going to need, we're adding 70 million people to the planet every year, and the economies of the world are still growing, uh, with possibly the exception of the United States right now. And if you take a look at what we need versus how much new oil is coming online, you can right away see that it isn't a match. In fact, in 2013, 
markets to be frighteningly low. There, we can look out that far because oil mega projects, which you could say are projects that have more than 50,000 barrels a day of oil in production, mm-hmm. they are big projects nowadays, and they take a long time to uh, finance to uh, before the first oil actually hits the market. And so we can actually see between five and ten years out exactly how much oil is coming into the market, and it's just not enough. You know, and it's, and it's interesting. There's there's a lot of variables, it seems, here. I mean, certainly consumption is the biggest variable. Is The more we get on renewable energies as a, as a planet, um, the less of an issue this becomes. I, I'm, I think also you've got the new drilling projects, which is something that obviously I'm uh, with along with a lot of other people, I'm not a fan of as, as a solution. The only way that that would be a good solution for me would be a short term sort of avoiding uh, catastrophic situations with, you know, financial collapses or, or things that, um, you know, cause wars and things like that. But, but beyond that, I, I'm, I'm a fan of complete conversion over to, uh, again, along with a lot of other people, renewable energies. Um, and you mentioned population growth as well. So all these things sort of factor in. I think that it seems like what's important here is that the specter, I'm not going to say specter as if it's a false thing, but the specter has been raised for peak oil. It was brought to the mainstream attention, and that's very powerful in that it has been a catalyst for all of the, the, the funding and the awareness and all the things that are helping us get off of our global oil addiction. Um, so regardless of, you know, I mean, I, the truth is important. Do you see a soft landing with this? Because, I mean, I think that's really the important question is, are we going to soft land this? Or are we going to hard pan land this? And, and it's going, do you see it causing these kinds of issues based on our current course? Okay, well, there's, there, was a lot, there was a lot in there. I'll start with the, the short Sorry, answer. I do that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start with the short answer uh, first. I, I, there's... there's uh, uh, pretty much no way anymore to have a soft landing because we're getting started too late. And if you look at the renewable energy sources that are coming online uh, globally, uh, you just have to go to the International Energy Agency figures to confirm this yourself, globally renewable energy uh, accounts for less than 1% of the world's overall energy. 85% of the world's energy still comes from fossil fuels and a lot of that from oil. So as oil depletes, it's going to make it harder to get the coal. It's going to get it, make it harder to go get the natural gas. And so, in in essence, we're going to have not just peak oil, but we're 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 really about to experience peak energy. And uh, the problem with waiting until the market tells you that it's running out is because uh, by the time the market gets a price signal, it's really actually too late. Right. We needed to have started at least two decades ago, and I I commend everyone to. Uh, look up the Hirsch report uh, from 2005 published by the Department of Energy and and, uh, in there he goes through uh, he and his co-authors go through three scenarios and uh, basically the only scenario left for us is that we start the conversion basically at the time that we peak which is right about now if it's in 2010 or if it's now is kind of irrelevant two years won't make a big difference and that's the first thing to get. It's, it's a big, big problem. And then the second thing is people don't understand that all the other energy sources are not equivalent to liquid fuel. We have over 800 million vehicles around the planet that require uh, gas or diesel in their, in their, in their tanks, and you, it, windmills don't give you that, and uh, neither does um, uh, marine power, tidal power, and neither does nuclear energy, if, if that's something that you like. It's not a one-to-one conversion is what you're saying. Is that these aren't well, there's actually no conversion. 
You see, because a windmill gives you electricity, and our cars don't run on that. Oh, I, I see what you're saying. I was mistaking what you were saying. I understand, right? These are not all, right, all, all fuels cannot be used for all things. Yeah, there, there essentially is, uh, some people think that ethanol is a, is a substitute, and we're seeing what's happening with the world food supply, so we're going to have to put the brakes on that pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and in any case, uh, the net energy profit from ethanol was never very good, uh, even from the beginning. Uh, oil has an amazing net energy profit. We're still getting oil out of the ground at a 30 to 1 ratio. That means we use one barrel of oil and we get 30 back. Well, ethanol is somewhere between 1.2 and maybe 2.0. You can't run a complex society on energy sources that low. And uh, so, some, would per, some would put forth that actually ethanol, in some studies, actually is a negative return. So, I that's mean, there's right. Even that. That's right. So, so all of a sudden we have the United States, for instance, which has only 2% of its population devoted to agriculture. And that is a direct function of the fact that we've had such concentrated energy sources available to us. As we move down the curve of what is available to us, uh, oil, by the way, started off at 100 to 1, and now it's at 30 to 1, and eventually we'll get to the oil that's only at 10 to 1 because it's hard to get. Maybe it's up in the Arctic. And as that net energy profit goes down, uh, we're just going to have to have more people devoted to the basics of living. moving people around using human power, perhaps, uh, definitely growing more food. Uh, You can't have as many people doing as many high-energy things as we're doing right now continue. That's... uh that's, a, that's actually a mathematical impossibility right, right now. And Andre, we're going to take a break right here to hear from our sponsors, and we will be back to talk more on peak oil and the world's energy situation with Andre Angelantoni, who is the founder of Inspiring Green Leadership in Post-Carbon Marin, and we'll be right back with Green Talk Radio. Thanks, everyone. Listen to Living Green, effortless ecology for everyday people a weekly online audio program featuring champions of sustainable living at personallifemedia.com. Okay, and we are back, and we're talking about peak oil today with Andre Angelantoni. And uh, Andre, I wanted to just, I think, talk a little bit more about, you know, remediation of of this issue that you've laid out for us and that we're all sort of aware of its varying levels we definitely know we have a problem on our hands. Um, before we start talking about, I think, what, what people can do, I want to talk about the things that maybe we can't control in the U.S. We have a very U.S.-centric audience, not to the exclusion of other countries, but we're about 80 85% U.S.-based audience uh, on this program. And m- one of my personal concerns has to do with whether or not we can move. And we look at the, the challenges with human rights and and things which are coming up in reference to the Olympics with China and, and China and India, India, who are just, you know, in this massive industrialization um, to meet, you know, world demand and based on the growth of their economies. You know, I mean, are, are these countries on board? Are they going to be on board in time to be able to make these kind of changes? Are we sort of, you know, um, banging our heads against a brick wall here? Well, <clears throat> very few people are actually on board. Uh, I think that... Um In terms of overall countries, Sweden has uh, put together a plan to get completely off of oil. Uh, I don't recall the date for that. Um, But for the rest of the world's countries, uh, they're really not even making it a priority. Uh, What you see here is is basically what you're getting everywhere else. 
Um, so I'm afraid that we're all going to fall off the cliff together. Okay, that's a pretty bleak uh, metaphor <laughs> to use. So, so what does the cliff look like to you? What, I mean, and this really is like, so what I'm asking is, you know, what, what is the impact here in, in your vision based on the, the data and the research you've accepted and collected? We're going to go through a period, we're in a period right now where people can still get away with thinking that it's not a problem. Uh, oil is only a hundred and some odd dollars a barrel today, and, uh, and, and that period will last for a little bit longer. Uh, and then we're going to move into a new phase where it's going to become commonly known that, that we're about to fall off the peak, so to speak. Okay. And when that happens, I, uh, my goal is that we have lots of people out there who have been working ahead of time, learning how to alter both the fabric of our society and their own lives, to get ready for that time. Uh, so we're going to start moving to, obviously, carpooling, but eventually even that's going to get tough. You won't be able to get the fuel for the cars. And we're going to have to radically reorganize how we get things done. And simultaneously, we're going to have to deal with um, massive unemployment because as the energy from oil is removed from the world's economy, that means the economy can't get things done. And if there aren't things to do, you can't pay people. Um, so we're going to move from an era where, uh, uh, where we once used to be concerned if you were to start a company, for instance, you'd try to minimize your labor because it was really expensive. Well, that's going to completely turn on its head. Uh, labor is going to become very inexpensive soon uh, because there aren't going to be a lot of jobs. So for people to get ready, what I encourage them to do is really look at their energy footprint and, and start to understand how they could live. Could they, for example, get by on five gallons of gasoline a week and then on three gallons and so on? And uh, going through that process is, is very useful, I think, because people will start to understand exactly how dependent their lives are on oil, um, including food, 10 calories of, of every Sorry, for every calorie of food that you and I eat, 10 calories are used in the growing, harvesting, and transporting that food to us. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, and I, I think that what people, uh, what people tend to be adverse to is the fear factor that comes along with the recognition of these truths, um, or, or at least these observations by people who are knowledgeable and have done the research. And so there's a lot of, there's that sort of denial phase. It's like the 12 steps, right? There's, there's the denial phase. But I, what I've found personally in my own life is to kind of put that part of it out of my mind. Cause I don't want to, I'm not a person who's going to live in fear regardless of what the situation is, I don't care if, you know, if things are falling around, around me, I'm going to have a quality of life that doesn't involve fear. So the way that I've done this is I, I happen to believe that, that we do need to make massive changes on a personal scale as well as a global scale. And I believe in the Gandhiism of, you know, that, you know, if you want to be the change you want to see in the world. So, but there's a ways to, to make this interesting. For example, you know, you talked about living on five gallons of gas. Well, I'm not going to claim that I did it on, on purpose this way, but you know, I, I like to be near my family and I like to have a virtual technology infrastructure that allows me to bring people together uh, in, in a work situation um, so that I can facilitate them in their lives and their families as well as myself. So 
you know, I, I, walk, I walk to the store and I walk down to Whole Foods or whatever with my son and my daughter, and that's our time together during the day. And I, you know, I, ha I run my business out of my house, and so I don't, I, I, you know, I put like less than four thousand miles a year on my car and things like that. And so it, it is possible, but those things don't have to be driven by this doom and gloom sort of feeling in people. It can be driven by the seeking quality of life, um, and these things can be moving together. They can they can be coincidental. And I just want to point that out because I think a lot of people feel adverse to this information when they hear it because they don't want to go, they you know, they deny and they sort of go the other direction. I think it's important to hear it, but just to not go into fear. Well I, I think you bring up a really good point and and I won't go too into detail because you actually did a good summary in just what you were saying there. Um but um if you want to hear a little bit more of my thoughts on that Absolutely. Uh, I recommend that you listen to um, another podcast at thelivinggreenshow.com, it's episode number 32, where I really go in-depth in how is it that a, a person can uh, relate to the, the changes coming up. Because if we relate to them like we're big people, if we relate to these changes like we're, we're powerful and, and that we're bigger than whatever life throws at us, then it, it's, it's like someone who's on a, on a ship and, and the ship is on the ocean and there are waves. Well, if you stand rigidly on the deck of that ship and a wave comes along, what's going to happen? Mm -hmm. You're going to get knocked over. Right. But instead, if you are flexible in your knees and you absorb the wave as it comes, then you're going to stay standing. And that's really what we have to do is, is, is each one of us is, is get ready for a lot of change. And, uh, and, and, and get used to change, and maybe even learn to love it and embrace it, um, because that's that's definitely what's happening. It doesn't have to. It's not the end of the world that we're running out of oil. It really isn't. But our lives are going to look very different, and we're going to need to take charge of finding what elements of life did we say we enjoyed before, and then finding new ones that don't require a lot of fossil energy, particularly oil. And that's everyone's job uh, uh, coming up. We're going to take, well, thank you for that. And we're going to take one more quick break, and then we'll be back with uh, uh, one more, a couple more questions that I have for you. We are talking on Peak Oil with Andre Angelantoni, who's the founder of Inspiring Green Leadership. This is Sean Daly with Green Talk Radio. We'll be right back. Listen to Living Green, effortless ecology for everyday people, a weekly online audio program featuring champions of sustainable living at personallifemedia.com. Okay, and we are back talking with Andre Angelantoni of Inspiring Green Leadership about topic of peak oil and I just want to you made a reference to another program I, and I'd like to give a, a shout out to Meredith Meredith Medlin is a fellow podcaster in uh, in green sustainable living and I know you were on her program so that I think you had mentioned that was episode 32 uh, on the living green show livinggreenshow.com or you can find it on personallifemedia.com if you're listening in it's a great show Meredith does a great job and you can get more information there um, and I wanted to move on to, to another question I know that some people think and it's been raised before the, the the idea that the tar sands and the oil off our coast and, and things like this are going to help out in this in this issue. What's your response to, to those sort of uh, uh, ideas? Yeah, that's actually one of the most fundamental confusions that I hear from people. And and there's you know they're just 
they just haven't had anyone explain to them what the what the difference is between oil that you can get when you stick a straw in the ground and oil that comes from the tar sands. But it is true there is a lot of oil in tar sands in Alberta and also the heavy oil in Venezuela. Um, but looking at Alberta for a moment, it takes two tons of sands to create one barrel of oil and a lot of heat from natural gas because you essentially have to cook that sand and then a lot of water from the Athabasca River. And the result of that is the largest dam by volume in the world filled with the effluent of that process. It's, it's, it's probably going to be one of our worst environmental disasters on the globe, what's happening up, up in Alberta. So not only should we not do it because uh, it's terrible for the environment, uh, right now it's only producing something like 1.4 million barrels a day. And because it's a mining operation and not a pumping operation, it's really not going to go much higher than maybe 3 million barrels a day, according to the Canadian government. So the tar sands really, you, it's great that there's a lot of oil out there, up there, it's actually not that great because it's terrible what it's doing. Our extraction of it is doing to the environment. But uh, let, now let's look at Anwar, for instance. The estimates are in Anwar there may be 10 billion barrels of oil. In the Arctic, there might be something like 50 billion barrels of oil, depending on whose survey you look at. And uh, what people don't understand is the scale of the problem. A billion barrels of oil extra pushes back the date of peak oil by roughly six days. That's it. Sounds like a lot of oil, but we're using so much right now. We're using 86 million barrels a day. So it's quite easy for you to do the math and, and see that, that even if we were to drill Anwar, all it would do is it would add a little bit of production on the other side of the peak, but it wouldn't push back the peak at all. Same thing with the tar sands. And if you go through every single one of the alternatives that we have, uh, there's just not much that's going to push back that date of the peak. So it's basically, we're, we're, I mean, the conservation efforts that are occurring in the, uh, in the optimization of usage on, in some sectors is being basically outpaced by the, the growth in China and India and other places. Is that basically what's happening? Is we're not keeping pace, we're actually continuing to grow our usage? On a global scale, we are. Uh, and that's why the price is going up, because clearly the demand is, is greater than the supply. There is a little bit of the price going up because of the U.S. dollar and some speculation. Um, but no one that I read that I think has done a credible job analyzing it thinks that the price difference is more than, no, is more than maybe, let's say, 20 or $25. So the vast majority of the increase in price is because the world really wants more oil and, and it's not available. And going to your your uh, your point about efficiency efficiency uh, is just is 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 great but it's and it's good on a personal basis because we want to be as efficient as possible so that you can get what you need to get done with whatever amount of oil you're eventually going to get your ration of but on a on a global scale efficiency is just we can't do it quickly enough it won't make a, a big enough difference if if we really want something that will push off the the peak oil date uh, that will require rationing and curtailment, similar to what we did during World War II. Uh, anything short of that, and uh, and uh, it's just not going to get the job done. Hmm. 
Well, I like to leave listeners on, with a note of, of hope, <laughs> uh, and uh, and certainly we want to keep it real. But I'm just curious, what would you say as a, as a takeaway from this conversation? What can people be doing in their lives, in their businesses, right now to prepare for this? Uh, in, you know, in terms of their personal impact, their global impact. What are the best things, the most leveraged activities that people can be uh, embarking upon uh, right now to help with this whole upcoming situation and current situation? Well, the first thing is is get involved with a local relocalization or post-carbon group. Uh, you mentioned at the top of the podcast that I'm the, I'm the founder of Post Carbon Marin. Uh, go to relocalize.net and find a local group or start one in your community. If you're listening inside in Europe, you can go to the Transition Towns uh, website and find or just, or create a a community. Uh, of people who are starting to investigate how to recreate uh, their local governments and, and their local society. And, uh, and it, it really is actually quite fun working with people on a common goal, knowing that the goal is a worthy one. And that could give a lot of people a lot of the meaning that they're afraid is going to get uh, removed from their lives if, if you know, once they see what's really going to happen with peak oil. So the very first thing I would do is get involved with your community, uh, create something or join one of those groups, and start learning and start uh, taking specific actions um, and become a leader in your community, uh, someone who other people look to for uh, organization and, uh, and solutions. Yeah, well, that's great advice, and it's a great suggestion. Um, and you know, I, I agree. I mean, I think it's one of those things where you know the fear and the stress and the things that come up emotionally are, are quickly dispelled through taking action and action that one believes is you know is effective. So, great advice. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to share with our listeners today before we sign off? Uh, it, the the thing is that what what's going to work is if people are start with first accepting what is reality. What, what is reality is that, the, that oil will decline. It's a finite resource. And the sooner that people can get past that sticking point, the sooner they can get into action starting to adapt. But I, I see so many people who get stuck denying it, similar to climate change, and um, it just, it's not going to serve them. Well, I absolutely agree with that. And again, I think that the trick is get into awareness, get into the truth and don't go into fear because that's just, you know, that's not a productive use of energy, of human energy. So great. Well, thank, again, Andre, Angel and Tony, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing the information. And I hope to, uh, since you're not too far down, I'd, I'd love to come down to a, a meeting of the Post Carbon Marine Group uh, at some point and find out more about what you guys are doing. Great. You're invited next Wednesday, uh, April 9th. Good. Well, I might just come down for that. I think I'm Excellent. afraid. <laughs> yeah, drop me an email. All right. Great. Well, again, my guest today has been Andre Angelantoni. He's the founder of the Inspiring Green Leadership, uh, and I'll, that's inspiringgreenleadership.com, as well as the Post Carbon Marin Group. Thank you again for being on the program. Thanks for having me, Sean. Thanks as always to everyone listening in today. Remember, for more free on-demand podcasts, articles, videos, and other information related to living a greener lifestyle, visit our website at www.greenlivingideas.com. We'd also love to hear your comments, feedback, and questions. Send us an email at editors at greenlivingideas.com.
find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com.